you are listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, DC, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Well, me and Ansley, we got married in the fall of 2009, and it was in November 2009. And so we got, you know, our first little apartment was this um, apartment in Midtown in Atlanta, just a couple blocks south of Piedmont Park, which is like our Central Park, but it's Atlanta, so it's not Central Park, it's Piedmont Park, not as cool. Um, but it was our little space, and we were wanting to have people over. And uh, so we were going to have people over for Christmas. So this is like a month after being married. We're going to have like a Christmas decorating or a Christmas cookie decorating party. Wild, isn't it? Like we're, we're raging, okay? So that's uh, amazing. We're going to have all our friends over. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. And so we realized more people were coming than we had like first planned on. So Ansley gave me a very simple task. She just says, hey, could you go to the grocery store? Could you get more cookies? And I love cookies. I'm passionate about them. I think they're great. Um, But the thing is, is in our fridge, we had a lot of like sugar cookies. And I know that is the standard of the Christmas decorating cookie. Um, But I hate sugar cookies. I think they're the, the worst of all cookies. Does anybody feel me on this? Yeah, I know. I'm being divisive and I'm doing it on purpose. And, and so it's the, it's the least important cookie. I think it's the worst. It's so, it's, it's, bland, it's vanilla, ugh, it's bland, it's the worst. So I can respect you if you want to decorate a sugar cookie, and that's why you need the supplements of icing and sprinkles to spice it up and make it an awesome cookie because it's not one. And we all know chocolate chip is the, the top tier, right? You and me, it's gonna be you and me all morning long, yeah, yeah. So, okay, obviously you don't wanna decorate a chocolate chip cookie because that's, that's a, there's a lot going, it's too busy, it's busy. But when I was at the store, I look over and I see, oh, there's another cookie, blank canvas, but it has flavor and it's a peanut butter cookie. So I'm thinking, amazing, I'll get a few of these lesser cookies, that's fine, uh, but I wanna live in a world where peanut butter cookies could be decorated. And so I buy them, and I'm thinking, this is awesome. I am, I am like reinventing Christmas right now. So I bring them home, I put them in the fridge, no big deal. I'm like in the other room chilling out, and Ansley comes home, she goes, hey, did you get the cookies? Yeah, I got them in the fridge. She opens up the fridge, she's like, peanut butter cookies? Who does that? Like, really, who buys peanut butter? Like, like what world do you live in where peanut butter cookies are Christmas cookies? Does anybody feel that side of this equation? Yeah, it's okay. You, it was, you were like, ah, I need to tell you, you're wrong. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> so my wife's watching right now and she's like, praise God for you. Because we got in an all out argument, like hot argument where, where she's going, what are you doing trying to, to turn over Christmas? And I'm going, what are you doing putting Christmas in a box? Why can't, why can't peanut butter cookie, why can't you put icing? It's a blank canvas. There's nothing on the cookie. It's just a better cookie. And so we're going at it. And I don't recommend this, especially early on marriage. It was getting so like hot. I started to record the, <laughs> the conversation because I was like, this is so stupid. And then she was like, oh, you're recording me. And we were just going at it. And I learned really, really quick. I learned really, really quick uh, in my 
early married life that living in close proximity to someone else can quickly highlight the differences on how we might approach life. You know, and if you're in a family, you get that, right? And just so you know, uh, this argument has gone on for 12 years. We have yet to see each other's side of the equation. And even when I was telling her I might share this story, we kind of had the same argument all over again. So it's unresolved in our house. Maybe you can help us. Maybe you can send her Ansley a DM or something and let her know I'm on your side. Or you can open her mind to the possibilities of a new kind of cookie. But I really did. I, I learned that when you get, when I got married, all of a sudden, like, it's different than when we were dating. Because, like, now, like, our lives are kind of like this one life, but we're two different people. And you have a way, and I have a way. We feel it when we go drive anywhere. It's like, I want to go this way. No, I want to go this way. Or, or, you know, drive this way, drive that way. Any married people in the house, you driving with people, and it's like... Uh, maybe you should drive, or I just want to close my eyes and let you drive. Like, it's, it's just, you feel that. But you might feel that with, like, your roommates or something, or maybe a coworker. I remember right out of college, I moved to New York City, and I was living in Manhattan, and I had this, I had kind of, like, a rotating roommate situation. I don't know if maybe you've have that here in D.C., but it's just, like, every couple months, like, somebody different would rent that room, just it was the, the type of apartment that I was living in at the time, and this one guy came in, and I noticed a few nights in a row, I didn't know each other, like, super well, but I noticed he would sleep on the couch every night, and I was like, that's weird, because you have a room with a bed. Like, why are you doing that? And so I, I remember asking, I was like, why do you do that? And he goes, oh, well, um, I think I have bed bugs. And I was like, oh, great. Did, yeah, right? It, it was just like, oh, that's cool. So are we, do you think like maybe we want to call an exterminator? Or maybe your approach was like, maybe they'll leave. Maybe they'll move on. And so now, you, you, but your, your way of dealing with this was just to sleep on a different space and let them like, annihilate your bedroom, you know? And then I'm like going to bed that night going, are they coming for me, <laughs> you know? And, and so, but you can deal with roommates and coworkers, um, but there's something interesting about the family dynamic because your family gets to see the real version of you and you get to see the real version of them. You can put up a front for other people but it's really hard to hide your true colors from your family. Your family gets the real you and you get the real them. And I believe this is what Paul wants to talk about to us today from this passage in Colossians. I love that you guys have been in the flow with Colossians. I've been tuning in when I can, and it's just been amazing. And even this week, kind of getting back in and around um, this book with this big idea, right? Like here, here, the big idea is that Jesus Christ is central in all things. That he's at the, the center of the universe, Colossians 1, that, that in, in him all things hold together. Not just even the universe, that Jesus is at the center of all eternity. This is our God. And somehow, in some miraculous, grace-filled way, because of the power of the cross and the resurrection, he can now be central in us and in our life. And what we're gonna see today is that Jesus wants to be central in your family. 
You see, Paul, in these verses that we're going to talk about today, lays out a vision of Christ's life working itself out in you. And so that's what Ben was talking about last week as he opened up these verses about, hey, so now, you know, we're going to put on these new clothes. But he doesn't say, cool, so here's how, here's how you're going to, to live this out with your coworkers. He doesn't go there first. He doesn't say, this is how you're going to live this out in the culture. He says, this is how you're going to live this out in your family. Because I think Paul knows that where the rubber meets the road in our lives a lot of times is with the people who are the closest to us. And I know coming into a space like this and talking to this room that you start talking about the family and all of a sudden it gets a little tense because we all come from different family backgrounds and we all have different experiences and even we're all in different seasons of life with our family. The family can be a source of deep, deep joy, but it can also be a source of our deepest wound. And a lot of times we're trying to make sense of that. All of us have bumped up against that. But remember now, as last week we were talking about that Paul is talking about these, these new clothes that because of Christ's work, now our lives look different. So we, we put on the, these new clothes, right? This is what Ben was, was talking about last week where he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, right? So I'm taking off my old clothes and I'm putting on the new clothes. I'm like, just patience jackets, awesome. You know, like, that's so, so cheesy. I'm sorry. I did, I, 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 if we had another gathering, I wouldn't do that again. But, um, but he, he's saying we're going to put on some new clothes. And so I'm kind of wondering, what kind of clothes have you been wearing at home? You know, like, but for real, like in 2020, has that shifted for you a little bit? Have you been doing more work in your sweatpants this year? Yes, of course you have. I don't know, for all I know, all of you work for the government and you're running our country in your sweatpants. <laughs> so, you know, and so it's like I'm wearing sweatpants at home, not jeans. But Paul, what Paul is trying to say here is to say, hey, I kind of want you to put your going clothes on at home first. Like I want you to get up and get ready to go in the home before you go out. Because he knows that we're, we are our real self and where we bump up against somebody else's real self is in the family. See, Paul gives us a vision in these, in, in, in these verses for a new family dynamic. Not a dysfunctional family dynamic, but one that's a functional family dynamic that actually promotes life and flourishing. You see, Paul, in these verses that we're going to talk about today, he, he understands that the dynamic in our families has gotten weird. It's gotten weird, and it, that has its roots back in Genesis 3. See, in the fall, when sin entered the world, not only did it break the relationship between us and God, but it also broke the perfect relationships that we had with each other. And a byproduct of that, right there in Genesis 3, you can see that, that all of a sudden there is a tension, there is a dynamic between man and woman. Right there, right from the get-go. So all of that that you feel in your family, it's because things went sideways in the garden. 
And we live in the midst of that. We live in the brokenness of this world. There are all kinds of issues between men and women and their kids. And if you read the first few chapters of Genesis, you will see a very dysfunctional family dynamic and a downward spiral of what sin does to a family. But see, all of that flows out of selfishness. That's what happened in the garden is there was this moment where self became the center of our lives. And what the gospel is, is an all out war against the selfishness of humanity. And it says, we've seen where selfishness leads to when you put yourself first in the world, that actually doesn't promote life, it actually leads to death. But the way of Jesus, we follow him, his way, his methods, we see that the way of selflessness actually promotes life for you and for the people around you. And so I wanna read these verses again that Ben started out with because what we're gonna talk about today actually flows out of this idea. He says in verse three, or chapter three, verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So this is the big idea. And underneath this idea, Paul begins to get really specific. He begins to speak to husbands, and he begins to speak to wives and to kids. And Paul puts on the table that there is a way that our families can function that actually reflects the heart in the life of Jesus to each other and to the world. And I'm gonna be honest with you, as we talk through these verses, talking about putting on new clothes, this might be like putting on those jeans the first time after quarantine. You're like, oh, cookies, <laughs> you know? So it's, I'm like, oh, wow, thanks for going out of town this week, Ben. These are fun verses, awesome. So let's go for it. Are you up for it? Awesome. So let's pick up right from the start. Verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. I can feel it in the room. Everyone's like, Ugh! <laughs> and that's okay. As we dive into these verses, I just wanna talk real quick about the spectrum. And I wanna be careful as we talk through these verses um, that we don't go too hard one way or the other. Because there's one side of this spectrum that would say, yeah, we all have a role and a function in the, in the family, but if you let the pendulum swing too hard in one direction, all of a sudden, their women and kids can maybe be seen as second rate or second class. So you don't want the pendulum to move too far this way, but at the same, in the same spirit, you don't wanna come all the way on this side of the equation that says, yeah, but we're just all the same. And there is this big idea that Paul is talking about, 
And so, but the, the problem with you let the pendulum go too far this way is you realize that Paul actually got really specific. And he said something to wives, and he says something to husbands, and he says something to kids. And then he says something to husbands one more time. Hey, so we're not, we're not all the same here, but we're not gonna let the pendulum swing so far, and you'll see this, and you'll see this why, that anybody has a higher value in the family than somebody else. Does that make sense? This is kind of the spirit in which we're, we're wanting to, to see what God has to say in these verses. So we're gonna go for it here. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So what this means is when Paul's saying this, he said, to, to be clear what submission is not is that it doesn't mean that a wife is less than her husband. How do I know that? Well, I just look to Jesus because you see all of these dynamics, they don't work unless Jesus is at the center of your family. So it's not that, you, that any one of the, yourself or these people are at the center of the family, but Jesus is, remember that's the whole message of Colossians, is that Jesus is central in the universe, in you, and now in your family. And so, so Jesus, actually in Philippians 2, you see this, Jesus submits himself to the will of the Father. But here's what's crazy, that doesn't make Jesus any less God. He's not a lesser God than the Father. Because remember what it said in Colossians 2, that all the fullness of God dwells within Jesus? <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to get your brain around. Like, honestly, in this discussion of family dynamic, it's, a, it's really similar to if you're talking about the Trinity. To how can God be one God, but yet three distinct persons, yet interact with each other with this, this divine dance where there, there, there are three distinct persons, but yet they're one God. And the same is true of this family unit. So to be clear, submission does not mean that the wife is less than the husband. Rodney Stark, Ben quotes this book all of the time. He actually told me about this book. Uh, but one of the contributing factors to the rise of Christianity in a pagan society in the Roman Empire was that women were highly valued in the community, in the church community. And so we know that the, the, the gospel actually promotes and values women where the culture, and this, particularly the culture of the day, did not. So Paul is not saying that a wife can't be driven. He's not saying that a wife can't have a career. He's not saying that a wife can't have a strong personality. Hello, my wife has one. Um, and you know I love you. Um, he's not saying a wife can't exercise wisdom in the direction of the family. My wife is incredibly wise. But he is calling wives to submit to their husbands. Because when they do, they become a picture of Jesus to their husbands. And this is what we want. You see, submission is a selfless act where you are inclined to receive and affirm your husband's initiation. So what it does is, it's not saying I'm less than you, but what it, what it does say is as I lean in towards our relationship in this, I'm going to lean towards our relationship uh, with an inclination to receive and affirm your initiation. So as you initiate good things for our family, I'm actually gonna lean towards that. 
That's what this is talking about. And who doesn't want a husband to initiate good things? <laughs> I know my wife does. <laughs> she's like, could you buy me flowers? My gosh, like, I love flowers. I'm like, but they die. And she's like, but I love them. Okay, I got it, you know? Sorry, that's like, I'm working out my stuff. I'm gonna be working out my stuff today too because this is like super convicting working on this message all week long. Um, but we want, you want to be pursued and love and all of this stuff and you want, uh, you want your husband to initiate good so when he does, you lean towards that, not away from that. And you don't shut that down. And so Paul's kind of bumping up against that, some of that stuff from Genesis 3, and he's saying, so how this being compassionate and kind and merciful and loving and forgiving, how this will play out for you, wife, is to submit yourself to your husband and to lean towards him as he initiates good things. And when that happens, do you know what that will do to your husband? Is It is so humbling to him to think that this incredible uh, high capacity woman has now leaned towards him in a similar way that the savior, the one who reigned on throne on high submitted himself to give him life. It's a picture of Jesus to him. It's humbling, it's inspiring, and it's challenging. And so then Paul moves on to husbands. And he says, husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. This was actually the revolutionary countercultural command that Paul's giving because especially in ancient Rome, I mean, talk about a man's world. It was ruled, dominated by men. And here Paul is saying, hey, in light of how Jesus has pursued and loved you, you do the same thing for your wife. Oh, and don't be harsh with them. This is actually a call for the husband to die and to say, I am willing to see you, to pursue you in this relationship and to sacrifice my life for the sake of your flourishing. Because as you do that as a husband, you now become a picture of Christ's love to your wife. It's to say, yes, I have, here's my life, but I'm willing to lay down my life for you so that you can be all that God has dreamed for you. You see, I, I actually think this can, this can get kind of tricky and kind of weird. I know it, it, it has for me because you can justify a lot of things. Oh, I'm doing this for my family. I'm doing this for my family. But the, the hard part is, is if you're never around or if you're not thinking about, it's not in your mind uh, to think about your wife and your kids if you're a husband, but you're like, oh, but I'm out here and I'm working this weekend because it's for my family. And if I put in the hours and you know, I'll get this promotion and we can live in this neighborhood and go to this school, you might be feeling some of that weight and pressure uh, as a dad or as a husband. But the thing is, is really what your family needs is they need you. They need you to be there. They need, they need you to be engaged with what's going on in their life. And it doesn't mean that you can't have a weird, crazy job, this, that, the other. The, the application of all of this is going to work itself out in a lot of different ways for us. But if your wife is never in your mind, as you're making decisions, as you're moving through your day, if you're not seeing her and pursuing her and laying down your life for her, you're not reflecting the heart 
of Jesus. You know, it's like, I, this is a big spoiler alert, but it's been out for like eight years or so, but Breaking Bad, right? If you've seen this show, it's this, this story of a guy who everything's going wrong in his life, his finances, his family, his health, everything. And he's a high school chemist and he goes and he traffics drugs, right? And so he does this as a way to justify to himself, uh, well, you know, I'm doing this for my family, I'm doing this for my family. But what the, as you see, as the storyline goes, you see that he loses everything. And at the very end, they say, why did you really do it? And he's finally able to be honest with himself. It wasn't for his family. It wasn't for the sake of his family. But he made all of these decisions for himself because of how it made him feel. Because he felt powerful. But in the midst of making decisions for you, because remember, selfishness promotes death, but selflessness promotes life. And so that's what we want to be. We don't want to just go, oh, I'm going to work this job for me, but I want to lean towards my wife and my kids. And let me just tell you, if you're young and married or old and married or not even married yet, but if you've ever been in a relationship, all kinds of pressures will come up against those two things like that. <laughs> but if the pressures of marriage aren't enough, have a baby. Uh, Jim Gaffigan says this about having kids. He said, if you want to know, he's a comedian. Um, <laughs> he says, if you want to know what it's like to have four kids, imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. Yeah, it's kind of true. I don't have four kids. I have three. Um, but Paul says, hey, kids are part of this rhythm and this flourishing. And so he says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And are there any parents in the room? Can I get an amen? There are no parents. So when you have kids, check this out. All you want them to do is obey. <laughs> That's all you want in life. Trust me. And here's why. But you are a kid. And so maybe you were obedient or maybe you weren't obedient. And that's why you are. Yeah, I don't know. But, but as a parent, can I just tell you, I just want my kids to obey because it is so much more fun in our house if we're all moving in the same direction together. But when we're not, which is often, uh, it's crazy town. So there's two reasons why I want my kids to obey. It's for their protection and for their growth. So why as a dad that I want my kids to obey? Uh, we just moved to a new house, has a really long driveway, and at the end is a big yellow line road. And it's really fun, because on this driveway, we, ne we never had this long of a driveway. My kids are at the age where they're learning how to ride a bike. And so they're doing that. And so we have a mark about halfway down our driveway that, that we say, don't go past the mailbox, because it's kind of up near our front door of our house. And so we say, don't go past there. And it's not because I don't want my kids to have fun and this, that, the other. It's I don't want them to be in a position where they could get hurt. And so I say, will you obey me? That's about their protection, because I want them to have fun but I also don't want them to get hurt. The other side of this is I want them to grow. And so I don't know if you, when, you, when you guys apparently uh, do have kids, um, uh, the, the hour between seven and eight is crazy town at my house. If you call me, just don't call me between seven and eight, forget about it. Like, it's wild. We're trying to get people bathed, people running around naked. We're trying to get, we're trying, not, not the grown-ups, just the kids. And, we're, and we're, we're trying to get them, you know, PJs, brush their teeth, read a story. And if it's a good night, we're trying to pray. Um, you know, it's, it's wild. <laughs> Getting three kids in bed is wild. And my kids, they like to philosophize at the end of the day, like talk about all these things. They want to get a drink of water. I mean, there's like, they prolong the whole thing. 
But one of the things that we ask our older kids to do is to clean up their, the floor of their room and put their toys away. And we do that because we want them to grow and we want them to learn how to take care of their things. So part of it is say, will you obey us? And will you, that's, that's the rule in our house that you would kind of pick up those things. And so it's not because we're trying to be like, you know, lording our authority over our kids is so that they can grow. But then inevitably, in one of these instances, my kids will totally not do what we say. And we'll say, hey, did you remember, you remember we said to do this? And they're like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Or I'm like, really, did you? I feel like I've said this a hundred times. But, um, but, the, other, but the, the thing is, is a lot of times they'll say like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. And so we'll inevitably come to them and say, well, show me that you'll do it. Don't just tell me with your words that you're going to do these things, but actually show me. Because obedience now is this outward expression that we're moving together as a family. And when that happens, things are so good. And we get to have a lot more fun. We get to do things rather than me tell you to put your shoes on for like 500 times before we get out the door. I can't tell you how annoying that is. If, it's, if, you, if you have children, you know. I'm like, where are your shoes? I swear, you had shoes at some point in life. Um, And then he comes back to fathers here at the end, and he says, fathers, don't embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And again, it's not that Paul's leaving out moms in this, but what he's really doing is saying, dads, you actually have a real important place here in space in raising your kids. And he's saying, don't embitter your kids. And how does that happen? That happens when you're either not around or you're really hard on them. You know, that thing of, and you can be not engaged, and it's so easy to be not engaged right now with screens and um, all, like you can come home and just veg, and you could be in the room, but not there. And what your kid needs for moms and dads, they need you to be there. They need you to be engaged. But on the, on the flip side too, some, some days you're coming in hot and you just had that hard meeting, like at the end of the day at work, and then you come in and your kid does something at bedtime that you're like, what in the world? And you just unload. And it had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with what was happening over here. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Don't embitter your kids. Be present for them and love them and be kind to them and be caring for them. Now, I know, again, that when you talk about this, as Paul's put forth this, this ideal image of, why, of wives submitting to their husbands and husbands loving their wives and children obeying your parents, and you're like, what movie am I watching right now? Because this is, there is a massive gap between what's real and what's ideal. And if you've ever been in a relationship, you know that it becomes really, really easy to say, yeah, but if I don't receive this, I'm going to withhold that. So if I don't get what I should have coming to me, I'm actually not going to give what this scripture is telling me I should. And if I can, just as we close today, I'd love just to share our story in our family. You know, me and Ansley, like I said, we did, got married 
in 2009, and we loved Jesus so much. Our lives were, we leveraged everything in our life for him, and we were both um, active in ministry. Ansley's incredibly gifted in ministry. Actually, that's how I know the Harkies is because uh, they were all in her youth group. She had, she was the kind of person in ministry that like could live at Starbucks, and people would just like tell her all about life, and then she would be able to speak into the truth of Jesus, and we met the Harkies as they were like middle schoolers, and so it was pretty awesome to come up here and see them leading worship. It's pretty powerful, actually, uh, to see what all that God has done. But, um, uh, and I was leading worship and traveling around and doing all these things. And we were early married. We were like full on in it. And we were moving in the same directions, but kind of like two parallel streams. Well, then we had kids. And that added a whole new set of pressure and responsibility to our life. And what that did is that actually all that pressure actually exposed the selfishness that was in both of us. And we're like pastors doing work, you know? Like we have like, you know, jobs that are like, we're doing good in the world, right? So, but even if you're in doing something good in the world, trying to make a difference in the world, you can fall prey to these things. Because what happens is, is Jesus stopped being at the center of your life and family, and either you did, or the career did, or the dream did. And although those things can be good, they're terrible things to put in the center. And so for us, about two kids in, it was breaking us. And we were getting into the same fight over and over, not the cookie fight, like a deeper fight, over and over. And it wasn't great, it was dysfunctional. And so we started going to counseling and started to work this out and to realize actually how to communicate and how to empathize with one another. And as we did that, all of a sudden, instead of polarizing, we were connecting. And it didn't happen overnight. And actually, if you were to ask us in the height of all of that pressure, we would have said, this outside pressure needs to change. The job needs to change kids need to change, but how do you do that? They're yours forever, you know? <laughs> like, um, the pressures have never changed. We have, we have actually more responsibilities and more kids than we ever did. But what happened is, as we began to lean towards one another and invite God into our family, and as we began to work on and, and to learn how to communicate with one another, to empathize and to build those connections, instead of polarizing when we would get into these fights, we actually came closer together. And this isn't something that we just like check off the list and it's like, cool, I figured out marriage, moving on. This is my life, <laughs> you know? And we still get in arguments. It's spicy in our house, <laughs> you know? We kind of like it though. It's all on the table for us. There's no hidden thing. And I like that. I know where Ansley stands. She knows where I stand. But what I do know is we're both committed to these ideals. And I have seen Jesus through her. So Ansley, who's so gifted in life and ministry, as we started having a couple of kids, she had the foresight to say, our family needs stability right now. And right now you are leading at church and you're traveling all over the place and you're doing all this stuff. And I don't, she goes, our family needs stability. So she chose to stay home. And that was hard for her because that was a massive identity thing. And I didn't realize that. I didn't realize how big of an identity shift that was. I didn't realize what she was doing. It took me a few years to realize, oh, wow. 
this was massive. And maybe the pace that I'm trying to run over here is not promoting your life and flourishing. Even though all of these things are amazing and they're great, they're awesome things. But what Paul's trying to speak to is saying, I want you to have a family that is strong. Isn't it amazing? God cares about your family. That's good news. And maybe you're here today and you're in a broken home and I just want you to know that's okay. There's things in this that God would say, yeah, but remember this is under this big idea that we're living life, that Jesus is living his life through us and God is redeeming those things, right? And maybe you're in this place today and you're like, I'm not married and I don't even know if I want to be married, but maybe you do. And maybe you do wanna have kids one day, but right now all it is is this is about the career and about the work. And that's fine right now because you're in a season of that. But can I encourage you that you to maybe make a little bit of space in your life to begin to put others first, to begin to not just orient your life around you and your things, because it's going to be really hard for you when you've spent 10 plus years, maybe, or longer than that, who knows, of it being all about this and all about your vibe and your moves and your career and your path and then all of a sudden to get married and to try and change that like that's going to be hard to do but if you start now beginning to that's why hopefully as a door holder at passion city you're actually doing that you're beginning to build in things in your life where you're actually giving your life away to someone else and that's awesome but god cares so much about your family and he really does want where in the, in the quiet places of your life, where people know you the best and you know them, that he wants to shine bright in this area, if you'll let him. And I know it's hard. I know that um, it really is, it's a journey. And for us, it, it, it took years. But can I just tell you that we don't, it's not perfect for us, it re- <laughs> truly. Um, but our process is so much better. And we're in a place now, it's my favorite seasons of family. And like I said, we have, we're doing stuff. Ansley, here's what's crazy about this. So she, she, she left her job at our church to take, make sure that our kids had somebody in the home at all times really taking care of them and raising them. And while that, she went and got a master's degree. <laughs> okay, great. And so she went to Dallas, PGI, she got a master's degree. Over and above her degree, she, uh, she goes and takes all five Greek classes, right? I, I failed Greek, she did not. She made straight A's. So all while this happens, within this last year, pandemic shuts down everything at Passion City, but we realize we have an opportunity to really dig in and, and, and open up this thing called CORE to really build into the spiritual disciplines of our church. Well, who's qualified now to help do that, Ansley? And she begins to write this amazing class to help now hundreds of people at our church this last year. She taught them how to study the Bible and not just to study the Bible, but to hear from God for themselves and to apply it to their life. But it's not all just about the outward thing because in the process, God had changed and transformed her and he has changed and transformed me, and I have seen Jesus through my wife. And I hope and pray she's seen Jesus through me and through my life. And I hope and pray my kids experience Jesus by the way that we raise them. And 
and I want them to grow up in a functioning home. Will it be perfect? No, because we're there. The only way this works is when I'm not at the center of my life. And it only works when Ansley's not at the center of my life. And it only works when my kids are not the center of my life. You've seen those families where the kids run the show. That's not what God is putting on the table for us today. What Jesus is saying under the big banner of this whole book is that Jesus is at the center of everything. And because he is, because he's changed me and transformed me, I now have a different kind of a capacity. So when you are having a bad day and when you aren't showing up, I can actually show up for you. And I can be Jesus to you. And here's what's crazy, is as that's happened and as our process has gotten better, as our dynamic has gotten more functional, it's actually created more bandwidth for us to give our lives away outside of our home. I'm in here and I'm in Washington, D.C. right now talking to you. Still doing a lot of the same stuff, but it's coming with a, a, with a way different sense of strength and togetherness. And it's because it's less about me and it's all about Jesus. God cares a lot about families. And scripture says that he puts the lonely in families. And so maybe you've come today from a broken home and you've never seen or experienced this. And, and Jesus is saying, come be a part of my family. That you can do that today. That as you put your faith in Jesus, you get to be a part of this family of faith. And so our families, like in our homes, are actually reflecting what this family should actually look like here at church, where we submit our lives to one another and that we love each other with unconditional love as we walk in obedience. You see, all these things are reflective of Jesus. This is Philippians 2, that Jesus, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. So Jesus submitted his life. Jesus sacrificially loved and as Jesus obeyed, it brought glory to the Father. And this is what God is calling us to today. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast.